go to the first ever episode of Secret Sauce with Kip Schubert. Just a podcast for all educators, teachers, coaches, administrators, just sharing their stories, sharing our secret sauce so that we can uplift and encourage one another to build those life-changing relationships with students. My name is Kip Schubert. I'm your host. I'm honored that you're here. I appreciate it if you guys would follow me on Podbean, Apple, or Spotify, The Secret Sauce with Kip Schubert. And let's get right into the first episode, building student relationships one day at a time. You know, for the longest time, the thing I did best as a teacher and coach escaped me in my personal life. Building relationships came naturally to me in my career and as an educator, I think I saw myself and my students, and by trying to fill the holes in their lives was a way to avoid the big hole I had inside of mine. You know, but not being able to build real, authentic relationships personally eventually led me to two failed marriages, hurting children of my own, and they were devastated, in a path I never imagined that I would ever go down, but I did. You know, people ask me, what is a secret sauce? And it's actually simple, yet a thing that took me years and a lot of heartache to get. It is my natural and learned giftings as a teacher and a coach, combined with life experiences, some that almost killed me, that when mixed together, cooks up a secret sauce that creates opportunities to develop authentic relationships in my profession that are lifelong and life-changing, not just for them, but for me too. You know, and I share mine because I want educators like you and other people and students to learn from my mistakes and find their own secret sauce without having to hit rock bottom. The first episode of my podcast, The Secret Sauce with Kip Schubert, is going to share with you how almost losing my life helped me to find it. And losing all I loved and thought important finally got my attention to change. And one day at a time, I finally began to recover my life, my dreams, my passion and purpose. All my life, I just wanted a relationship to fill the hole of my dad and mom divorcing and my dad moving out of state right after. And, you know, as a 14-year-old kid, that really hurt. And, the, and what hurt the most was why I was not good enough for him to stay. And that haunted me for a long time in my life. In every romantic relationship that I encountered, I expected that person to make me finally feel good enough. I would finally be worthy enough that they would stay. And I would smother any flame and suck the life out of every single person I encountered. Because, of, you know, and it's, I just needed them to fill that hole. And what I didn't know was that it was only a hole that I could fill. The relationship I had with myself was toxic and destructive. And so therefore, all my other relationships followed suit. And after my second divorce in my early 40s, my life began to unravel. You know, my weekend and holiday drinking became worse, which led to more days during the week. And after five years of really falling apart one day at a time, I was drinking seven days a week. My health was declining and I was losing a grip on reality. And life was something that I didn't want to do anymore. I just didn't have the guts to finish it and end it like I wanted to. You know, I didn't get to this place overnight. It was a one day at a time for almost 25 years. And to get out of it, 
it would take the same process, one day at a time. I'll take you back to Christmas 2013, and I was struggling really bad with, in life, and I was missing so many days of school. Uh, I had my, my youngest daughter with me, and my, my older kids had come over to the house, and I remember thinking that I just could use them as a babysitter once again and, and get back to the bar, and I just needed to escape and get drunk. And as I was leaving Christmas Eve that night, you know, Camden was, I think, was five years old, and, and as my son held her in, in his arms, she cried and grabbed a hold of me and says, Daddy, please don't go. And you know what's something that in my first divorce, my son, who at the time was in his early 20s, had done the same thing um, when he was probably six or seven. So it was the second time I had heard that, Daddy, please don't go. Please try harder. Please stay. And I just kissed her on the forehead and said, I'll be back later, you know. And I went anyway. And that's the power of addiction. You just do things that you don't want to do or you'd never do in your right mind, but you, you do them anyway. And the things that I did during my bout with alcoholism scarred my kids and really, really hurt them. And, you know, I didn't see it then, but, you know, I just can't believe the things that that I would do to them. And, and again, those words, Daddy, please don't go. And I just turned a deaf ear and went anyway. And about three months later in March of 2014, um, didn't take long, uh, I was homeless. I had lost my car. I had missed 47 days of school that school year. And um, by the grace of God, my principal, um, who was also a really good friend, helped me to keep the only thing I had left. And my family came down and encouraged me to get into rehab. And, and so I went. And, you know, I went to rehab not to, not to get better. Uh, I wanted to learn how to drink and party responsibly. And plus I thought, you know what, I don't have anywhere else to go. I have nothing else. So why not get 30 days of, of uh, a warm place to sleep and three meals a day and, and come back out and everything will be fine. And I get into rehab and kind of scared, but, you know, it's one of those things where it still didn't hit me that I was an alcoholic. It still didn't hit me that I had a problem. And I remember about two weeks into rehab, I got called into my counselor's office, and um, her name was Christy Hamner, and, and Christy set me down and let me know that I had lost all custody, all parental rights to my little girl, Camden. And that was the last thing that I had left. And I had lost my home, my dignity, my self-respect, my car, and now my kid. And I was done. I was done with life. I was going to go just end it and get you know, kill myself. And um, I remember walking by the chapel at the rehab facility that I was in. And 
for some reason, I went in and I, I sat down on the front pew of that chapel. And there was a, a sculpture of, of Jesus on the cross on the wall. And I just looked up at it and sat there and cried like I had never cried before. I was completely broken, and that was my rock bottom, and a bottom that I didn't want to come back from. And I finally, through all the tears, I looked up at that crucifix on the wall, and I just said, help me. And I don't know how to really describe it to you, except it was a God moment for me, and I felt a warm sensation, almost like hands coming up underneath my arms and just picking me up. And I stood up, and I could just sense a voice inside me saying, you're not done yet, you've got things to do. And from that moment on, it just like, like a snap of your fingers, man, it just changed for me. And I just knew that I had to get better and that I had to live not just for me anymore, not just for that hole that I was trying to fill. I had to live for my kids. And that was the beginning point of me finding my secret sauce. And so during that stay in rehab, um, one of the biggest things for me was I didn't love myself. The relationship I had with me was toxic and destructive, and it was killing me. And I had zero self-esteem, zero self-worth, no value, and I just wanted that so bad, and I thought that other people were supposed to give that to me. Other relationships were supposed to bring that to me. And again, my counselor gave me this big stuffed dog. I'm talking, it was like a four-foot dog. And she said, you need to carry this around for one week. You've got to keep it with you at all times because this is you. And you got to make sure that you is protected and secured and loved and, and fed and, and everything. And I thought, man, this is, this is so stupid. But, you know, I did it. And, you know, lo and behold, after a week of carrying that stupid dog around and then people in the rehab facility trying to steal it and hide it in the bathrooms and everything else, it dawned on me that I was actually beginning to care for me and was beginning to, to learn to love me. And so it's been a constant journey for me now for the last almost eight years of learning to do that. And I've gotten better and better at it, you know, one day at a time. And one of the things as an alcoholic they really stress to you is to get into Alcoholics Anonymous in the rooms of AA. And I did that for several years after I got sober. And, you know, a lot of sayings and, and cliche words they use and phrases and stuff like that. But, you know, I just... For the longest time, I would sit there and, and say the serenity prayer and, and do all that, and they would always talk about one day at a time. And I didn't really understand it. And I wanted to, I mean, my mentality was always a go big or go home guy. And maybe that was part of my problem as, a, as an addict. Um, but I wanted to be the best sober guy and, and reclaim my life in, in one day um, and do it right then. Um, but what I didn't realize um, was that it was a process. And after about a year being in those rooms, um, one day it just hit me that one day at a time just meant being present in the moment. 
and focusing on today and for me to quit worrying about what was going to happen at the end of this journey and how I would, how, what the end result would look like when I got better, but just to focus on that day and to be the best Kip that I could be that day and to be 1% better than I was the day before. And so I ended up quitting my teaching job after I, I got out of rehab, went back to, to teaching, um, summer came quickly, um, got back into it the next year, teaching again. Um, I was doing a great job, but I was in a city that I didn't have anybody there. I couldn't see my, my daughter. Um, my older boys were there, but they were busy with their lives. Um, my family was actually in Tulsa, which was about an hour and a half away from Oklahoma City where I was. And so I quit my job in the middle of the year and ended up moving back to Tulsa to be around family and so I could, you know, continue to, to grow and to get sober and reclaim my life. And I felt it was best for me at that time. And, you know, after about a year and a half, I began to, to love myself enough where a romantic relationship or any other relationships that I had became much more valuable and powerful because I didn't need them to fill a hole inside of me. I was filling that back up myself. Um, but I could finally begin to connect with people using my story and using that secret sauce that I was beginning to discover. Not because, again, that I needed them, but because I wanted them. And I wanted to be able to share what I knew and what I had with somebody else. And I wanted to be able to, I mean, it was like coming together and being a team. And I didn't need them to be whole, but... I knew if I could connect with someone and find that relationship that I always wanted together, bringing two people into it, we could be even more powerful and, and more dynamic. And, and so it was kind of funny. I ran into a, an old classmate from junior high and, and high school, and we had actually lived like a mile from each other when we were kids. And even at our 20-year re reunion for high school, um, her and her ex-husband and me and my ex-wife stayed in rooms that were right next to each other. And we weren't really friends um, in school, and we weren't really friends outside of school as adults. Um, but ended up coming across her. Um, she still lived in, in the Tulsa area, and um, I met Cindy. And again, it was the first real relationship that I had ever had. I didn't need Cindy to fill a hole in me. I just wanted to know her and to be around her and just to, you know, build a real friendship and relationship together and we started dating and after a couple of years got married and um it's been the best thing for me um personally um in my entire life especially as a romantic relationship and um but a really hard thing when when we are a couple of years into our our relationship and in our marriage and um you know cindy wasn't feeling that well or getting really tired. And she always went in for a, a, a yearly checkup. And, um, when she went in, um, one summer, um, her blood work was really off. And so they said, wait a month, come back. It could be diet, whatever. And so she goes back a month later and gets tested and her blood proteins were really off the charts. And so the doctor gives her a number to call and she calls it. And it was St. Francis oncology department, which shocked us both. 
you know, and can imagine how she felt not knowing what was coming and come to find out that she had a rare blood cancer that's incurable and it's called Waldenstrom's microbilemia. And they put a port in her and started chemo within a week and a half. Um, and I remember I had to go into the bathroom and just looked in the mirror and was like, you got to be kidding me, God. You know, you bring me this far and get me set up in the first real relationship that I've ever had. And now you tell me she's going to die. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I dried my eyes and went back out and and I'll tell you, she's the strongest woman ever. She, she's been through this journey now so far with such grace and joy and just a, you know, just a passion for just living one day at a time. And it's really made us appreciate the life we have individually and the life we have together. And, and she's in remission now. It's been in remission for four years. Um, she just had her checkup this past week, and all, all things are still really good. And so it's just one of those things where, it was really ugly and hard, but at the same time, it's brought us to such a point that not only do we appreciate the life that we have, um, that we appreciate each other and the relationship that we have, and we make every moment count. And so, you know, we began to deal with that, and, and so I got back into teaching in Tulsa and got a job um, that next semester after I had quit in December and, and spent a semester off uh, in Tulsa. I started teaching again that, that August in the Tulsa Public Schools and and was reclaiming my life, and, you know, things were going well. And um, the first year teaching there, I won an award called the Golden Apple Award, and they, they, they recognized one teacher in the entire district per month um, just for service um, to the district, and you were nominated usually by a student or staff member, um, and I just made an impression on some of my kids, and they nominated me, and I remember, I remember walking into the, the room. I was going to wear a sweatshirt that day to school, and Cindy was like, because she knew about it, and I didn't. And she said, hey, you might want to wear a nice, nicer shirt today. Why don't you try this one? I like this shirt on you. And I, of course, didn't really put two and two together. And so I put the shirt on and get into class, and then I think maybe the second or third hour into, into that day, um, they called me into a different room. And so I walked into the room. Uh, one of the news channels was there. The superintendent of schools was there. You know, all my kids were there and my family. And, you know, I was presented with this award. And um, that was the first time that it hit me that, and you have giftings. And you have natural abilities to connect with kids and to connect with staff people. And it started to open my eyes to, you've got a secret sauce and you've got to begin to use it. And so I began to grow professionally, and, and I was continuing to grow as a, as, a, as, a, as a man to get back to where I wanted to be, but I still didn't have my daughter back. It had been three years since I had seen her, and I wasn't allowed to contact her in any way, shape, or form. And I was trying to, to do everything I could during that time to get, get her back and get back in her life, but it was just roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and Finally, we had um, saved up enough money to get a really high-powered attorney, and we had visited with them um, about what we needed to do to, to fight um, even, you know, at all levels to, to try to, to get back in Cam's life. And I remember sitting at home after I'd visited with that lawyer and was just really nervous and just really wanted to see her and, and been praying so hard. And, 
you know, and again, I got to that moment, just like when Cindy was diagnosed with cancer, and it's like, God, what do I, what do I have to do? What the hell else do you need me to do to prove to you that I'm ready to be her father? And I said, enough is enough. Get me back in her life. And a day and a half later, the phone rang, and it was my ex-wife who had not wanted to speak to me, and it had been horrible to me for three and a half years. And the only thing she said was, you want to see your daughter? And I said, absolutely. And so that weekend, I went down to Oklahoma City, and I met with her first, and I saw Cam, and I was able to bring her back to Tulsa, and I've had her back in my life ever since, and she's been back in my life now for about four and a half years, and 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 again, it's just another milestone that one day at a time being 1% better led me to. You know, a year later after that, I um, after teaching in Tulsa for a couple of years, um, I had been out of coaching soccer for a while. Um, you know, being a drunk doesn't lead you to be able to, to coach, much less teach. And um, a job opened up at a high school near Tulsa where, you know, when I was coaching high school before in Oklahoma City, I, I knew about them, and they had been one of the worst programs in in the 6A level of soccer there in Oklahoma for a long time. And the job came open, and a friend of mine said, hey, if you apply for this job and get it, I'll be your assistant. And I really didn't want to do it, but I just kind of did it on a whim. I went and interviewed for it. Um, they called me back the first time and said, we'd like to offer you an assistant position, and it just wasn't my nature as a head. I've never been an assistant. I've always been a head coach, and I just told the guy, that the AD there, that I wasn't really interested in being an assistant, and if they had a head coach opening at some point and were interested, let me know. Um, a day later, he calls back and said, we want to give you the head job. And I said, let me think about it, and I talked to Cindy, and I was like, you know, these guys, this program has been terrible. They're going to lose. They're not going to be any good, and I don't know that I really want to take this job. And she said, you know, you're always talking about living one day at a time and finding your purpose and your secret sauce and all that kind of stuff and how you've got to be pushed and out of your comfort zone and you've got to become uncomfortable if you're going to grow. And she said, I think you need to continue to grow. And I was just like, dang it, lady. Um, so I called the AD back and took the job and um, got back into coaching soccer. And I tell you what, those boys, um, they had won 10 games in the last five years that they had been a program. The seniors that I took had won, you know, they had only won a handful of games their entire high school career. And we won 10 games that first year. And we turned that program around. But it wasn't because of my great coaching ability and my great ability to connect. Um, it was that secret sauce that started flowing between me and them. I got them to believe that they could be the greatest miracle in the world. And in turn, they helped me really solidify and believe that I was the greatest miracle in the world. And for four years, we built relationships and we connected and we built a culture that didn't just create champions on the field. We were creating champions off the field. And so again, I just living one day at a time, focusing on being 1% better one day at a time, not only led me to my secret sauce, not only led me to really understand and grasp 
my why in doing what I did. It just, you know, it, it, was, it was just one of those, one of those things that led me to really become intentional and purposeful in the way I lived. And before, I was so much being about myself, my coaching, my teaching, my relationships, my family, my, my marriages was all about Kip. And now it was all about how Kip could serve other people. And so this past year, we had been, we had been vacationing in Woodland Park, Colorado for a long time, Cindy and I, and, and we had always wanted to, to live in the mountains. And so our dream was kind of when we retired, we were going to move to the mountains. You know, then COVID has hit and shut down the schools for a semester, then, you know, in person, out, you know, virtual, all that kind of stuff for another year. And it's been a really rough two years for everybody across the world and in this nation with COVID. And, but COVID made us realize that so many of us are just sleepwalking through life. We go through a routine chasing our tail just to put food on the table, just to keep the lights on. We're working just to live instead of living. And we decided to take a leap of faith and move to the mountains. Why wait till we, till, till we retire? And so we sold our house. Um, packed up our belongings, and we moved to Woodland Park, Colorado, and we now live in the most beautiful place on earth um, where we'd always dreamed we'd live. Um, she has a fantastic job. Um, I'm teaching again and um, up here in Colorado and um, just thriving. And again, it's just building relationships, connecting with people, sharing that secret sauce, one day at a time. You know, and this journey brought to the forefront my purpose, which is to love and lead educators and students to become the greatest miracle in the world. You know, we are all that, yet so many don't know it. And if they do, they don't believe it. And my giftings as an, as an educator, my life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, have given me my own unique secret sauce that allows me to do the thing I wanted to do so desperately since I was 14 years old. Have good relationships. It enables me to connect and create real, authentic, life-changing relationships. And instead of serving me, relationships have become all about serving others. I don't need them to be okay. That is maintained by my relationship with myself. But now that I love who I am, all of it, especially the ugly parts of me. The relationships with others fill me with joy, passion, and purpose. And they don't fill a huge gaping hole of hurt or pain anymore. They just fuel my soul to give, to lead, and to love the best I can. One day at a time, I have learned that life was not just about me. Rather, it was about how I took me and impacted others with that life. Our stories, our life experiences, our struggles, become our strength. Teachers, we are tired. Educators, we are worn out. But, com but our stories, our strengths, our struggles that we're going through, man, combined with our passion and our purpose as educators, teachers, and coaches, it becomes our secret sauce to building relationships with our students and our staffs, our peers, our colleagues. Man, and that's what it's all about. 
the students, the kids need us. The people around you need what you have. Relationships change lives, and they flow both ways. It changes all of us involved for the better. It brings out why we do what we do. Without my secret sauce, I am just an average educator, a former drunk just trying to get by. But with it, man, I have passion. I have purpose, people. And I am intentionally making a difference, serving up that secret sauce, building relationships, one day at a time. Guys, I appreciate you listening to me on this first episode. I'm honored that you're here. Please follow me on Podbean, Apple, Spotify. The secret sauce was Kip Schubert. And I can't wait to bring you episode number two. And let's remember our why. Let's remember why we do what we do. And let's go out there and let's share our stories and serve up that secret sauce. Till next time.